Good morning. Hey, they were a little bit more awake that time, Lyle. So, hey, I like that. Now, uh, and I tell you what, uh, worship like that will wake you up and make you praise God, right? Uh, one thing I've noticed after being in Denver is that uh, there, are a, there are a lot of great worship leading services that are there, but it's really far, hard to find uh, people that love the Lord to sing and worship. And so it really is. It's a blessing every time I get to come back and just hear great worship. And so this is fun. So don't take that for granted. Uh, if you ever move away to an area of the country that doesn't have a lot of churches and worship, uh, I promise you, you will miss really good worship like you guys have had this morning so far. Uh, I tell you what, I love your pastor. I love this church. Uh, that car ride, I think was a, a divine appointment by God so that we could do it. We all, uh, we found out that we knew uh, way too many people, way too many of the same people. You know, you get scared sometimes when, when somebody knows all of the other people that you know too. Uh, and so Lyle and I, Pastor Lyle and I figured that out as we were on that car ride. But I love him and I love this church. I'm so grateful for you guys, for your prayers, for your financial contributions, for coming in June. I cannot wait for you to get to see the area that God has called us to and for you to help us reach those people with the gospel through the means of sport. Uh, Pastor Lyle didn't mention it, uh, but I did go to the University of Tennessee. I actually uh, cheered and worked in the athletic department at the University of Tennessee. And so uh, when I bleed orange, I bleed orange. My boys bleed orange. My daughter, she doesn't know it yet. She'll bleed orange. I promise you. Uh, and we were talking earlier. I, they were not fortunate enough to be here today uh, as we're traveling around, but this is our family. So that's my wife, Libby, who is my right hand. She is my rock. She is everything. Uh, and then that's our oldest son in the middle trip. Uh, Paxton is over on the left and then the one on the right hand side that will not let go of our daughter like ever. He never lets go of her. Uh, that's Rhett, our youngest son. And then the, the prized possession, the, the caboose, the end of the train. We are done after that. The girl, that's Henley Grace. And uh, we named her Henley Grace for Henley Street Bridge in Knoxville because my wife and I met in Knoxville. So when I say I bleed orange... I bleed orange, but don't hold that against me, okay? Uh, so, hey, you guys have been walking through the life of Jesus, right? We're leading up 40 days up until Easter. Hey, if you didn't know, four weeks from today is Easter. And that's not an April Fool's joke since Easter is on April Fool's this year. I mean, 40 days you guys have been walking up to it. And in four weeks, we are going to be celebrating the resurrection of Christ. And I can't wait. Uh, when Pastor Lyle asked me to continue on in that message, I was really excited. Because when I look at the life of Jesus, I want to know and understand what his mission was. Can anybody agree? Would you like to just really grasp and take hold of what Jesus' mission was? Because if we are to be Christ-like, I need to know what his mission was. And he's a great leader in scripture. And so when I look at the life of Jesus, I want to look at Jesus' mission. And so today, when I look at the life of Jesus, when we look at the word to see what the life of Jesus was about, we're going to look at his mission. You see, because here's the deal. All great leaders have a mission. They have a mission and they have a target. And certainly, Jesus would fall into that great leader category, right? Let me tell you about a rifle shooter, a guy named Matt Emmons. He represented the U.S. in the Olympics several times, but rifle shooter Matt Emmons in his first three Olympics, okay, he came away with three medals. He got a gold in 2004, he got a silver in 2008, and a bronze in 2012. That's fairly successful, right? But while he has been regarded as one of the top rifle shooters in the history of the sport and in the world for more than a decade, he is just as well known for one of his losses 
than he is for some of his wins. You see, in 2004, Emmons was slated to compete in the 10-meter air rifle, the 50-meter prone, where they're laying down, and the 50-meter three-position event, where they're doing all three, right? So he's set to do really well in these in the Olympics in 2004. Uh, in the prone event, Emmons took gold. Congratulations. Great job. His first Olympic medal. However, in the last round of shooting in the three-position final, disaster struck as he held a commanding lead and was poised to win his second gold. You see, Emmons needed a score of just 7.2 on his final shot to win the gold. Now, if you're like me, 7.2 means absolutely nothing to you, right? So he needed a 7.2, and to put that in perspective, he did not shoot a lower score than 9.3 in his first nine shots in the final. So this is kind of like I could do this with my eyes closed to get a 7.2 and win another gold. However, he recorded a score of 0.0. Now, he didn't have a problem hitting the target. He nailed the target, as sure as anything. But when he looked up, he saw the 0.0. He was perplexed. You see, the issue wasn't hitting the target. He was actually aiming at the wrong target in the final and went from gold to eighth place and out of metal contention. Now, there are times in our life where quite simply we take our eyes off the target. Many times in our life, we take our eyes off the target. There are times in the church's life where, quite frankly, we take our eyes off the target. Matt Emmons lost a chance at another gold medal. We have something greater at stake. Journey Point in Denver, Colorado has something greater at stake if I take my eyes off the target. You see, I'm a recovering sales rep. (laughs) And so if you're a sales rep, I'm sorry, I know and feel you. I'm a recovering sales rep, uh, and I take a very business-like approach uh, at times in ministry, and quite often, sometimes too business-like of an approach at things. But one thing I do know is that every successful company, every successful leader, every successful church that I have seen has something in common, and that is that they have a solid mission that they are solely focused on. If they're following that mission, it is everything that they are doing. They eat, sleep, and breathe towards that mission statement. They have something that drives them in everything that they do. And you know the old statement, if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it when? Every time. And so we've got to start looking and aiming at our target and moving like we would see Jesus moving. Because see, here's my fear. Too many leaders are aiming at the wrong target like Matt Emmons in the Olympics. Or, quite frankly, they're not aiming for anything at all. They're just trying to check a box and get everything done. Many churches are aiming at the wrong target or not aiming at all. Not only in our personal lives, not only in our business, but quite frankly, the church is in the same category. I'll be honest, I've served in established churches, worked with a lot of established churches. Too many established churches are wanting to appease the Christian audience a lot. And we see this in in many churches across America today. They're wanting more programs to, to keep themselves happy. They're wanting things that make them happy. And they're not focused on what the target is to attract people that don't have a relationship with Jesus as opposed to attracting Christians. 
Their programs don't even communicate well or, or transfer over to the mind of someone that is spiritually disconnected from God. They attract people that are already believers. For church plants, I'm ingrained in the church plant world now, and I, I see too many church plants that are worried about their brand. You know, because one of the things that you see in Acts 16, when, when Paul goes into Philippi, the first thing that Paul's do, Paul does to establish the church in Philippi is he sets up his website, his social media, and his blog. No, Paul doesn't do that to have a successful church plant. He engages the city where people that are spiritually disconnected from God are hanging out. And far too often now, I see too many church plants that are worried about their brand, their website, their own personal stature that they have across that. And they are not focused on the target at hand, which is to push back the percentage and to, to, in, uh, to decrease the percentage of people that are spiritually disconnected from Jesus. They're worried about their fan base. You see, I said earlier, Denver has 4.5 million people. More than 90% of them are lost or unchurched. Stapleton, right now, right now, where our home is being built, there's five evangelical churches. There's no Southern Baptist church. And out of those five churches, collectively, 500 people are sitting in a worship service, worshiping the same Jesus that you and I are worshiping today. 500 out of 65 thousand people in Stapleton. Who cares about my brand when people are going to spend an eternity in hell? Who cares about my church's name when people are going to spend an eternity disconnected from God? And so I think if we evaluate the mission of these examples from far, we'll see that many of these examples are missions for programs, missions for popularity, missions for breaking attendance barriers, missions for reaching already evangelized people. But they are not doing what Jesus did, which is to run after people that are disconnected from him at every single cost that he had, including, obviously, we know his life. Our mission at Journey Point, to point people on a journey with Jesus. 8,500 people a month are moving into Denver. They are all on some sort of journey to get there. And what we want to do is come alongside and point that journey that they are on towards a journey with Jesus. Not a journey with Journey Point, not a journey with Chris and his family, but a journey with Jesus. I dare you, I dare you to name a successful CEO of any company that doesn't have a singularly focused mission. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a mission? If you were to write down a statement that says what your mission in life is for, what would you write down? What would you have on a piece of paper? Do you have something that drives everything that you do? I'll go a step further. If you don't have one, ask somebody you know to write one for you. They'll be really honest. You can always look at your calendar and your bank account. You can look at your time spent and the money spent, and that would probably determine what your mission in life is. Do you have a mission statement for you or your family? You see, the Bible clearly states that where there is no vision, the people perish, right? And so if you are kind of floundering around, living kind of day to day, not knowing what you're doing, then you probably don't have a God-sized mission for what he has called you to do. The clarity that a mission brings is crucial. When you know what that mission is, when you own it, when you embrace it, when you step forward in everything that you're doing for that mission, I'm telling you, it's something that you'll never have joy in like that outside of your relationship with Jesus. You can say no to something because you have said yes to what your mission is. 
Saying yes to your personal mission helps you say no to the things that have sideways energy and keep you busy away from your mission. And here's the thing about Jesus. Everything that Jesus did flowed from his mission. Every single thing he did, every decision he made flowed from his mission. I love that he was not a person that was actually defined by a mission, but he was someone that was known, heard, and read about for us today as someone that was missional, right? He wasn't just defined by a mission, but he was actually missional in his life. And we'll see that in Luke 19 verses 1 through 10, where we will be today, where we will find a wee little man named Zacchaeus. You see, just before this passage, Jesus is on his way to Jericho. The blind man calls out to him, right? The blind man on the way to Jericho calls out. He wants faith in Christ. He wants to see again. And his faith has saved him. He was blind, but now he can see. And just before that, we saw how hard it was for a rich young ruler to drop all that he had and his possessions and his focus on that in his life as his mission and to follow Jesus. You see, his possessions had a stronghold on his life and we never see him placing faith in Jesus in that passage. We know that Jesus, even as a result of that, says how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Personally, in the community that we live in, uh, Denver is uh, a, a very high cost of living city. And in the community that we live in, it's very materialistic. It's very materialistic. And you know, what I have realized is that it's really hard for people to have everything to realize that they have nothing. Because when they have the jobs and the careers and the homes and the cars and everything that they want, it's really hard for them to realize that they are missing the biggest picture in their life, which is a relationship with Jesus. It's very hard for people who have everything to actually realize that they have nothing. And we're in a community that stuff is the mission. Because their mission is focused on gaining more and building up their career, their homes, climbing the corporate ladder. We are trying to translate that into the biggest piece of their life that they're missing. You see, because when most people surrender their lives to the Lord, they're broken. And the blind man, he was in need. The rich man, he was not. But so then we come to Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. We see another man of wealth, which gives hope. He had wealth and he had stature. Now we say he had stature. Clearly he was not a big man because we know that Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. (laughs) This is why I don't lead worship. Um, Let's get in. Let's read Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. I'm from the Christian Standard Bible, so if it's a little bit different than your translation, this is what we're using to reach our community. Chapter 19, verse 1, it says, He entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus. Since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it's necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to uh, complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. 
But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if you have exhorted, if I have exhorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has came to seek and save the lost. Let's pray. God, we love you. I'm so grateful that you came to seek and save the lost. God, I'm, I'm so grateful that you were singularly focused on the mission that God gave you. Lord, and that you went at all costs to fulfill that mission. Lord, I'm thankful for your call on our life to be Christ-like and to continue to seek the mission that you had, Lord, to seek and save the lost. I'm grateful, Jesus, for your death, your burial, and your resurrection, Lord, that we'll celebrate in four weeks. God, that you rose for us, that if we placed that faith in you, if we believed, if we repented, God, and took you as Lord of our lives, God, we get to be connected to you eternally. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Let us dive in this morning and and just do a work in our hearts. It's for your name and your name alone. Amen. So there it is, right? The mission of Jesus. Verse 10, something to cling and hold on to in everything that we do. Jesus very simply says, the son of man has come, and here's his mission statement, to seek and save the lost. Can I get an amen that that's his mission statement? Now, quick pet peeves that you will hear me say today, and I am not hampering on this. I'm just letting you know so that when I say it, you uh, understand why. Uh, People that are not in a relationship here are defined as lost, right? We use that word. I use that word for years over and over again. Now, Jesus followers that are in the room here this morning, they recognize what that word means. But I bet if you just got into the mind of someone that is what we would say is lost and think about how that term feels. And if someone is in the room today and is spiritually disconnected from God and we say, hey, would you rather be considered lost or spiritually disconnected from God? I'm betting that they would go with the latter because, you know, they got here this morning. So clearly they're not lost. They have jobs and they have careers and things that they're going and track records that they're going on. So they would not think that they are lost. So the term that we use in Colorado is spiritually disconnected or someone that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. That's one thing that I've learned in 90% of the conversations I've had because 90% of the conversations I've had are with people that are spiritually disconnected with them, with Jesus. And so if you have that lost friend, ask them, ask them what they would prefer to be referred to. And I almost bet that they would always love to be referred as not a relationship with Jesus or spiritually disconnected. Just as we would probably not say the Greek word apollomai, which is translated lost in our Bible. And so it's okay if we make some movement as long as we keep the same definition. But apollomai was the original word and it just means unaware of location. And I I think sometimes language is so crucial when you have chances to speak with people that do not have a relationship with Jesus. And so I know that may be a little bit difficult to transition into, but just know that that is something that God has impressed upon our heart and something that we are doing. Because I see in scripture that language is very, very important. And I have seen and asked people that don't have a relationship, hey, what do you think of when I say the word lost? (laughs) Well, I think I've got a GPS on my phone. I can get wherever I need to go. (laughs) 
I, I think I'm here, and so I understand. And so you'll hear me say that this morning. And so I just wanted to kind of forewarn you. So I'll step off of my soapbox now and get into the passage. So here's the great thing. The great thing about this announcement in Luke 19, verse 10, he says, at first, he reminds people of who he is. He says, the son of man. He didn't say some guy. He didn't say somebody that I thought was cool. He didn't say some brand I'm trying to make known. He didn't say anything else, but he said the son of man. He reminded us of his humanity and his deity all at the same time. The son of man came to seek and save the lost. This is not just some nobody Joe Blow that we meet down the street. This is the son of man and his mission is to seek and save the lost. Fully man, fully God. Jesus is reminding us of both his humanity and his deity in that passage. But in this passage, I see three important truths that honestly has invaded my methodology or my strategy for my life. And I hope you'll see it as a strategy and a mission for your life as well. I believe that the first truth that we see here is that Jesus seeks those not in a relationship with him. Jesus seeks, he seeks those not in a relationship with him. He was arriving to Jericho. He was passing through. Ultimately, he's on his way to Jerusalem, which we know the ending of that story, but he's on his way there. But notice how this, uh, this passage begins to call who Jesus is hanging out with. You see, I looked for the programs that Zacchaeus was involved in where Jesus met him. I looked for the, the Tuesday morning uh, breakfast. I looked for the, the afternoon uh, program. I looked for the Thursday morning program. But I, I don't see any of that. I just see that Zacchaeus is running alongside him. And, and I see, obviously, that he sees Jesus coming in a crowd. Now, obviously, none of those things I just mentioned are bad things if they're in a rhythm of where we can also be involved with people that aren't in a relationship with Jesus. Because, see, if Jesus spent his time only with Christians, then he would not be seeking those in a relationship with him. It would have just said that I came to seek those that know me. But it says I came to seek and save those which are lost. So Jesus is seeking out a relationship with those that are not in a relationship with him that do not know him. As we see the statistics and the declines of the number of baptisms across America and in the churches today, I cannot help but to think there is a huge issue that we are not seeking relationships with those who are spiritually disconnected from Jesus. Did you know that in the church in North America today, the North American church evangelical, it costs more than $1 million for every baptism. $1 million for every baptism. Now they derive at that number because of the lack of baptisms in churches and the high budgets that are in those churches. And so when you start to add up those numbers across every church in America, you see that it's $1 million spent for every baptism. Did you know that in Africa, one baptism costs $700. I cannot help but to think a huge issue with this problem is we are spending a lot of time, effort, energy, and resources on things that are not building relationships with those that are spiritually disconnected from God. 
Those programs do a great job of equipping and encouraging and bringing us to a point where we go out and we share our faith. Nobody is knocking those things. I am a product of those programs. But sometimes and many times, often, they are not equating with people giving their life to Jesus. Let me give you a couple of stats. 53% of baptisms in Canada last in 2015, according to the North American Mission Board, 53% of baptisms were through church plants. 83% of baptisms in Vermont in the same year were through church plants instead of the established church. You guys have a great building here. You guys have great resources. You know what church plants don't have? Great buildings and great resources. We don't have money, space, time, capacity, or buildings to do a lot of the programs and things, but yet we see that 53% of baptisms in Canada and 83% of baptisms in Vermont were based in church plants with none of those resources or programs that are going on. Uh, The established church fell way behind, clearly. And so when we hold all of that up to the person and work of Jesus, we can see glaringly that this didn't really look anything that he was about. I didn't see Zacchaeus in a program. I saw Zacchaeus hanging out with crowds. Luke 5, 32 says, I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners to repentance. Jesus' mission was not to come to the already evangelized, but it was to find and seek relationships with those that were disconnected from him. Jesus spent time with those that did not believe in him. Look at uh, the first four verses of our passage. It says that he entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. He was rich. It says he was trying to see Jesus, but he was not able to because of the crowd. He was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up in the sycamore tree to see Jesus as he was about to pass by. Zacchaeus was not able to see. Why? Because there was a crowd. That crowd was not just people that believed in Jesus. That crowd was full of a lot of people that did not believe in him, that were anti-Jesus, that were trying to catch him in traps. They were full of people that were still trying to figure it out. Maybe they weren't anti-Jesus, but they were still trying to figure out this man and these miracles and these things that he's doing. And then there are some people in there that are obviously followers of Jesus. But if we look over and all of our relationships are just with Christians or already evangelized people, we have to step back and say, does our life look like Jesus? The word here that he uses means go in search of. He was going in search of those that didn't have a relationship with him. This is a deep theological truth that really, I mean, it makes me praise God. God came searching after me. God still comes searching after me. Jesus came searching after me because I did not have a relationship with him. And so we've got to ask ourselves, Have we just sat back and thanked God because we have a relationship with Jesus and said, thank you for searching me out. Sometimes I think we move right past that and we forget and we get in our everyday. We lose track of our target. We go offline. We forget our mission and we just forget that Jesus came seeking us out. And so if I want to be like him, then you know who I need to go seek out? I need to go in search of people that don't have a relationship with him. Not just come across them, but I need to be in search of them. So here's a practical question for you. What relationships are you seeking out? If you have to write down the people in your relationships that you were seeking out, what would they consist of? Would they consist of people that are like you and your same camp and your same thought process? Are you seeking them out or are you seeking out lost people? 
some of our dearest friends now that we've moved to Colorado, some of the people that if something happens in our home or to our kids in the middle of the night, they do not have a relationship with Jesus. That is scary and awesome all at the same time. (laughs) When you get in a place where you have no other option because 90% of the people around you do not have a relationship with Jesus, you find out that you just start to build those relationships and you seek out deep-rooted relationships with them so that you can point them to Jesus. And so who are you seeking out? Because Jesus sought out relationships with people that did not have a relationship with him. The second truth that we see Jesus not only sought out relationships with them, but he actually socialized with them. And there's a huge difference between the two. Amen? He socialized with those not in a relationship with him. One of my partner churches had a huge Serve the City Day yesterday. It was their 10-year anniversary, and they do an incredible job of going out into the city and building relationships with the opportunity to share the gospel while they're serving the city in those, in those relationships and in those projects that they're doing. It has been a great work in that city. It has done more for them in building those relationships. But here has always been my problem. We go and we come to be the fix-up guy in that city. And then we say, okay, see you next time. We do it four or five times a year. I'll see you the next time. So I sought out that relationship by serving the city, but did I socialize with them? Not a chance. I'm just kind of the guy to come in and fix up your lostness. Right? We're trying to help you find your way, and then we're going to go on and get on our way. You know, as I was traveling back this week, I went, from, uh, I went from Denver to Memphis to Orlando to Memphis to Nashville, and then I go back to Denver Monday. So I've done a lot of traveling and a lot of thinking. And I was sitting on the plane the other day on the way back from Orlando, and I just looked around the plane, and I thought, how many of these people would I invite to dinner tonight? Because we were on the way back to Memphis. How many of them sitting right here would I just stand up and say, hey, if anybody wants to go to dinner tonight, let's go. Rendezvous, barbecue. I hadn't had it in a while. We don't have it in Denver. I'd love to go out with you. You can come back to, to, to our house, my parents' house where I'm staying. Let's have some food. Better yet, how many of them would I just say, hey, can I come stay with you? You see, because we sit on those planes and we start to think and we start to think, who are, I wonder if they have a relationship with Jesus. Now, surely they don't by the way they're acting or the way they're thinking or anything. I probably wouldn't stay with them. But Jesus actually invites himself in to stay with Zacchaeus. This wasn't just a, hey, I'm going to check the box and move on. He socialized with him. Verse 5 says, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it's necessary. It's necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with the sinful man. Right? I know a lot of people, my parents probably would say, whoa, who did you invite over to our house tonight? Or or somebody said, whoa, why are you going to, you don't even know them. Why would you go and do that? You see, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, which meant he was just worst of the worst in a lot of people's eyes. He was a crooked rich one, but Jesus sought him out and stayed with him. And we see over and over, Jesus dined with sinners, hung out with sinners. He chased after because he was seeking after those not in relationship with them. But he didn't just seek after them, talk to them, and move on. He socialized with them. He engaged with them. He continued that relationship with them. If we are not socializing also with people not in a relationship with Jesus, then we are very disconnected from Jesus' mission. 
And to be quite frank, we're very disconnected with the kingdom of God expansion if we are not socializing also with these people. You see, here's the deal. The need for the church in America is way more than a methodological fix to what we're doing. We need, we need way more than a methodological fix to fix programs or anything to get people disconnected from Jesus back in. The church needs a mission fix. We need a mission fix, not a strategy, not anything else. We need a mission fix in the church in North America today. Reggie McNeil, in a book called The Present Future, here's what he says. He said, the invitation to become a Christian has largely been an invitation to join the church. The invitation to become a Christian has largely been an invitation to join the church. <laughs> Let me tell you a fun story about our core team. <laughs> I love our core team. And our core team, we're meeting and training and, and meeting about, hey, are we building relationships and how are we doing this? And we're processing what our church is going to look like and walking through all this process. And one of the times, uh, a couple of months ago, I asked our core team, I said, hey, here's what I want to do. I want to start writing names of people that you've been building relationships with. Not the guy that you met in Starbucks and you've never seen again, but the guy that literally, if you had to call somebody to talk about Jesus right now, you could pick up the phone and call them. And there was kind of crickets in the room. <laughs> And so when I asked them what, what the problem was, they said, well, I, I, we don't, we're not doing a preview service until November of this year. And so in that preview service, it, we, just, we don't have anything to invite them to, so we haven't been building the relationships as well. Because we don't have anything to invite them to yet. Well, yes, you do. Invite them into your life. Invite them into your home. Invite them into those. You see, the church in North America, the invitation for Christianity has largely become just an invitation to church. And when we socialize with people like Jesus did, we sit down, we hang out, we have dinner, we have dinner again, we get to know their kids' names, we walk alongside of them to point them towards a journey with Jesus, because that's what Jesus did. And so... We've got to invite them into our lives. Practically speaking, another question. Who are you socializing with? When is the last time you had dinner or multiple dinners with someone that was spiritually disconnected from God? Not believers that you're comfortable with, but those not in a relationship with Jesus. Jesus told Zacchaeus, I must stay. And that purpose of I must stay leads us to our third and final point. Jesus saves those not in a relationship with him. He says, I must stay because his purpose there was to save Zacchaeus. He had a divine appointment. And because of Luke 19.10, where it says that he came to seek and save the lost, we know that he had to stay with him for a purpose, right? Amen? Jesus came to Jerusalem, I mean, to Jericho, to, not to just save a lost Zacchaeus, not to vindicate a righteous Zacchaeus. He came to save this lost Zacchaeus, not to vindicate a righteous Zacchaeus. His purpose is to save those not in a relationship with him. This reminds me of John 4, 4, when it said that Jesus must pass through Samaria. If you remember Samaria, he's going through the woman at the well. A lot of people just went around Samaria, right? But Jesus 4, 4, it said that he must go through Samaria. You know why? Because there was a lady there that was going to know who the living water was. Jesus saves those not in a relationship with him. If we are in our churches on Sunday morning and we're not preaching a gospel, it's for two reasons. Either we don't have people here that don't have a relationship with him, or we don't believe that the gospel saves. My prayer is that it's not that we don't believe that the gospel saves, but it's just because we don't have people that are here in a relationship with him, right? 
My church in Journey Point uh, in, tech, in, in Denver, my church will absolutely 100% be preaching the gospel week in and week out with an opportunity for people to respond to Jesus' gospel message. Because Jesus saves those not in a relationship with him. Here's the deal. We work on Romans Road, EV2, one verse presentation, gospel conversations. We do a lot of this work in how to present our gospel, right? Great, great ways to do it. But sometimes I think we botch in our mind this perfect presentation of sharing the gospel because we're afraid that we're not going to give the right gospel. We're afraid that we're going to botch this presentation. We're afraid that we can't get these people to move into this transition. And that's a wrong view of what the gospel is. A botched presentation that has the gospel in it can still lead to salvation for somebody because the gospel is what saves. I said it's because the gospel is what saves. Amen. Right? And so don't worry. Stop overthinking it. Just tell people your Jesus story and let Jesus save those people. Tell them what Jesus has done for you. Tell them what he did in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And let God do the work in their heart. Far too often I feel that we don't build those relationships because we're scared of what may happen. They may think wrongly. We may not do it right. They may think we're different. They may think uh, we're goofy. They may think that we're some Bible beater. They may think something else. But absolutely at the end of the day, we just need to tell Jesus' story and let Jesus do the work through his gospel message. Jesus saves those not in a relationship. Notice it doesn't say that Pastor Chris saves those or that Pastor Lyle saves those or that anybody in this room saves those, but that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We overcomplicate it, but his mission was simple. It was extremely simple. He came to seek and save the lost. Listen to a couple of just supporting verses on how Jesus ran after those not in a relationship with him. Luke 5, 4, it says, What man among you has a hundred sheep and loses one does not leave 99 in the open field to go after the one until he finds it. Luke 5, 6, and 7 says, And coming home, he calls his friends and his neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Luke 5.10, I tell you, in the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Luke 5.24, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Lastly, Luke 5.32. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. Jesus runs after those that are not in a relationship with him. So let me ask you a question in your, in your gospel presentations. Are you more worried about your presentation of the gospel or are you more worried about Jesus saving those with the gospel? It doesn't matter how you present it. Just present Jesus' story, your story with him, and let God do the work. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And here's the deal. Despite the difficulty of a rich man that we see in Luke 18, we see Zacchaeus give his life to the Lord. Zacchaeus showed by his lifestyle and his action that he was now a follower of Jesus. Half and four times as much. He showed, he put his money where his mouth is, right? 
And see, here's the thing. Today, Jesus' his words, it says, Today salvation has come to this house. Didn't imply the act of giving to the poor had saved Zacchaeus. But that his change in his lifestyle was evidence of his right relationship before God. You see, Zacchaeus was son of Abraham by birth, had a right now to enter the kingdom of God, though because of his connection with Jesus. And because of Jesus' mission to seek and save those spiritually disconnected from him. He seeks, he socializes, and he saves those that are not in a relationship with him. I would venture that if that question I asked in the beginning, what's your mission? If you don't have a mission statement, here's a really good one. I want to seek and say, seek and, and search and hang out with people not in a relationship with Jesus and let Jesus, through his gospel, save them. I want to seek people not in a relationship with Jesus and I want to point them to the man that can save them. Any of those things would be model mission statements that we have. And so, uh, as I close, I just want to say this. We're walking up to Easter. Four weeks, we get to celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the man that came to seek and save the lost. And so maybe you're sitting here today and, and you have a right relationship with Jesus. But maybe if you were really to write out and say, I have not lived towards him like I need to. I have not sought after people that don't have a relationship with him like I need to. This is a chance to sit and get right before him. Because not only did he do it, but he commanded us to do it. You see, making disciples is evangelism and disciple making. Go, therefore, baptize. That's new believers. That's evangelism. Teaching them. If we're only involved in teaching them, then we are leaving out half of the Great Commission. And so maybe this morning you would sit back and say, I have not sought after relationships with people not in a relationship with God like I need to. I have not socialized with them. Maybe I've sought it out. Maybe I've served. Maybe I've gone down. Maybe I've talked to them. But you know what? I've never invited someone into my house that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. I've never been in the house of someone that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe that's where you are right now. And so as, as I begin to close, you just pray, God, do a work in me. I tell you what, you start praying for relationships with lost people. You know who answers? God does. Far too often, I think we haven't prayed for relationships with lost people. We're, we're too busy with everything else. And so then maybe this morning, maybe there's somebody that's sitting there that says, you know what? I, I didn't know that Jesus came to do that. I didn't know that his mission was to seek and save me. I didn't know that he lived a perfect, sinless life only to be hung on a tree, only to then be buried in a tomb and then to raise again three days later so that if I place my faith in his saving gospel, then I have a relationship with him, that I am no longer disconnected. Maybe you've never been to that point today is the day for you to come to that point. Today is the day for you to understand and realize that Jesus came to seek and save you. And so as we begin to pray, Pastor Lyle is going to come up. And if you want to make a response, if you want to make any of those responses, maybe it is to just seek repentance from not searching after lost people like you, you know the, the Bible commands. Or maybe it is giving your life to Jesus today, here and now. I invite you to come forward. Let me pray. God, you are amazing. (laughs) 
You singularly came to seek and save the lost. God, you did nothing wrong, and yet you were murdered and put on a tree only three days later to be risen so that if I put my faith, my hope, and my trust in you, if I repent from my sinful ways, God, I'm in right relationship with you. God, I thank you that you seek people not in a relationship with you, that you socialize with people not in a relationship with you, and that you save people not in a relationship with you. God, let us hold on to that. Let us live by that. Let us make decisions knowing what your mission was. Lord, let us wipe away our mission. Let us wipe away our goals. Let us wipe away our aspirations and line up with what your mission is. Lord, let us see people come into a right relationship with you just as Zacchaeus did. God, use us. We are your servants. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen.